Heavenly Father, we continue in our prayer. We pray the Lord Jesus would indeed come amongst us this morning, that by his Spirit he would speak his truth to us, convey what we need to hear, that our hearts would be gripped, that we would have humility before his voice. We pray this, that we might love him and serve him and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. Um, so often that we, we have a problem, don't we? we? We see things, but we don't always see things clearly. Maybe we only see uh, what it is we, we want to see. There's a famous um, experiment, did the rounds on YouTube, probably about 10 years ago now, um, and uh, I'm sure you know it. It's called, I think it was called the Gorilla Experiment. I asked someone to watch a 30-second clip of some university students bouncing a basketball uh, to each other, and you gave them a question, count how many times they passed the ball amongst themselves. So you'd watch and you'd count, and at the end you'd give the answer. And then the person kind of doing the experiment, they'd ask you, did you spot anything odd? And a high proportion of people said no. Thing is, walking right across the screen while they were passing the ball amongst themselves was a man dressed in a full-size gorilla outfit. D- did you see anything odd, anything unusual, anything out of place? N- no. <laughs> you-, you didn't see the-, the guy walking across the screen in a-, in a gorilla outfit then? No, didn't see that. Didn't see it at all. See, the job is we see what we want to see. We, we don't always see clearly, do we? We, we don't see everything. It's true in our own lives. For most of us, we we, we very often only see the good, the way we're patient, the way we go that extra mile in in the office, the way that we respond to our spouse with grace, and we miss the gorilla walking, trampling across our life. It can be the same in the church as well, can't it? It's really sad um, but there have been cases uh, amongst churches like, like ours, in, in our kind of tribe, in our kind of constituency, where, where abuse has been happening over a number of years, but people only saw what they wanted to see. They saw strong leaders, they saw faithful Bible teaching, they saw growth, and they missed the gorilla. But praise the Lord that Jesus is not like that. Look how he introduces himself to the church in Thyatira. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, remember, we've seen this before, haven't we, that Jesus comes to his churches differently. Each letter, some different aspect of the nature, the work, the being of the Lord Jesus, he he emphasizes depending on the church that he's writing to. And what does the church in Thyatira need to hear? I have eyes like blazing fire. Elsewhere in the Bible, this image speaks of justice and judgment. Jesus' eyes burn with justice and nothing escapes his sight. In the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles, God says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. The eyes of Jesus burn with justice and nothing escapes him. His eyes range throughout the earth. And that means hope to so many people, doesn't it? 
those who suffer at, at the hands of, of others, those who suffer at the hands of human traffickers, whose story is never heard, whose life is just enslavement year after year. They never get justice, but Jesus sees and his eyes are burning for justice for them. Those who have no voice, who are at the mercy of corrupt governments, whole people groups that are persecuted and shut down, those imprisoned or silenced, or, or every victim whose voice is never heard. Jesus sees, and his eyes are burning for justice. No one will escape the gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ. But where does that gaze settle first? It settles on his church. Look where his burning eyes are set. Verse 19, I know your deeds, he writes to the church in Thyatira. My eyes now are upon you. I know your deeds. The burning eyes of Christ rest upon his church, and he sees it all. See that now, first point. Holiness more important than faithfulness. Holiness is more important, sorry, than fruitfulness, not faithfulness. Holiness is more important than fruitfulness. So Jesus sets his blazing eyes on the church in Thyatira, and what he sees at first really pleases him. Verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. This is a great start for the church in Thyatira. Jesus, who doesn't miss a thing, doesn't miss the good. Such a beautiful picture of a church, isn't it? There is love. They love Jesus. They love his people. There is faith. They believe Jesus. They're convinced that Jesus is good and true, that he is Lord. There is service. They work for the good of the gospel and they work for the good of others. You can imagine these guys are running Alpha and Christianity Explored. These, these Christians would have been the ones who've set up soup kitchens and basic banks. They, they've set up a mentoring project with kids struggling at school and Jesus loves them for it. And then there's perseverance, love, faith and service. That's tiring, especially when you're doing it all in a hostile environment, but they keep going with it. They endure and my prayer is that Jesus would be able to say this about us. Redeemer Winchester, I know about your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. And I think he could. I mean, we're not perfect by any means. But brothers and sisters, there is, there is love in this church. Love for the Lord, not just knowledge of the Lord. But, but love for Christ himself, a deep affection for him. And there's love for one another as well. I know not everyone who comes to Redeemer stays, but it is astounding how many people say how, how welcome they feel amongst us. There is faith at Redeemer, a confidence in Jesus, a desire to live for him, to build our lives and make our decisions based upon who we believe him to be. And then there's service, acts of mercy and, and kindness. We open our homes to each other. We offer people a place to stay. We, we shop and cook for each other. We, we just pop in sometimes to catch up and make sure someone's okay. Of course we could do more. Someone asked me this week, you know, what, what are Redeemer doing to help 
the, the broken and, and the vulnerable in, in the kind of community of Winchester? And it's a, it's a really good question. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, that's a really good question. Well, well let the Lord lead you and guide you. Maybe you're going to come up with some ideas that we could, we could take. But, but also, let me say this, maybe the best way to serve those around us is, is to join in with what's already there. So many wonderful initiatives set up from mentoring children to befriending prisoners to volunteering in care homes. It doesn't have to have the Redeemer logo on it to mean and make it pleasing to the Lord. But yeah, we're not perfect. There's more we could do. And, and of course, we're, we're prone, like I've said, to see only what we want to see. But I think we can say, because of his spirit at work in us, Jesus could say, Redeemer, I see your deeds, your love, your faith, and your service. But then Thyatira is on a different level. Look how Jesus finishes verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. They're doing more. More acts of love, more acts of service, more acts of faith. Doing more. I used to have this approach, maybe I still do, but when we went on holiday, um, I used to have this approach that I kind of think, well, we've got to pack, pack everything in, pack things in, you know, activities, stuff to do. And even more so when, when, when children come along, you know, it's true, they, they, they're like dogs. You need to kind of walk them. You need to kind of exercise them. And so we'd kind of, up in Wales, let's climb a mountain in the morning. Everyone comes home, they're kind of, you know, sitting around the lunch table thinking, that's it. And there's me thinking, right, what's next? What are we going to do this afternoon? What's next? It's a bit like that in Thyatira. They've done incredible things, acts of love and acts of service and acts of faith. They've endured. And then someone gets up and says, well, what's next? They're a kind of a what next kind of church. And Jesus sees that. And he sees it as a beautiful thing, that they are doing more than they did at first. More love, more faith, more acts of kindness, more acts of mercy, more perseverance. This church, if you like, it's, it's kind of flourishing. It's growing. It's, it's an active church. Praise the Lord, there are churches like Thyatira today, aren't there? Amazing churches. You know, more people coming through the doors. Programs for parents and marrieds. There's, there's a youth outreach project and a mentoring scheme. There's Alpha and Christianity Explored. And people are hearing and they're, they're believing the gospel. That they're looking after the, the, the homeless and helping people with debt. And it's, it's all... It is brilliant, absolutely brilliant, how people are spending themselves for the sake of the gospel and the good of others. Praise the Lord Jesus for churches like Thyatira. Maybe that is something that we would aspire to be like. But remember, when we look, we're prone to miss things, aren't we? We're prone to miss the gorillas. A busy, bustling, growing church may not be a healthy, Christ-honoring church. Jesus, with his blazing eyes, he sees everything. And yes, he sees the activity, the love and faith and service, and he sees the growth. But the blazing eyes of Jesus see beyond that. Jesus sees something at the core of this church, which in verse 24, he calls satanic. 
and I'm going to get to that in a moment, but, but here's the point for now. However we measure the success of Redeemer, and success isn't the right word, is it? But, but you know what I mean. Whatever criteria we use to weigh up whether, as a church, we are pleasing to the Lord, it can't ever be purely about numbers or about how busy we are or how many projects we run or how well thought of we are by the local community. It's interesting that in this letter, Jesus doesn't really talk about persecution. It's likely this church was well-liked by the local community. No, no, what matters is not first and foremost fruitfulness, the output, the activity, the works of the church. It's something else. It's holiness or faithfulness. See, back in verse 18, Jesus says something else about himself. Yes, his eyes blaze with fire, but he also, he's the one whose feet are burnished bronze. If you were with us a few weeks back, you remember this image we have in chapter 1 of Jesus. His feet like burnished bronze. We're also told back in 1.15, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Metal that has been refined in fire has no impurities. It is pure. That's Jesus. He is pure. He is holy. There is no mix in Jesus, part good, part bad, part dark, part light. He is holy. And and that is what Jesus is looking for in his churches. The blazing eyes are looking for holiness, faithfulness, not just busyness, not just fruitfulness. Are we holy, devoted to him? Are we faithful to him? Are we holy and pure in our commitment to him? May the Lord Jesus help us to be fruitful as a church. May he enable us to do more now than we did at first. May he help us to serve the good of others and the good of the gospel. But above all else, Lord Jesus, please may we be holy and faithful and wholly devoted to you. As he sets his blazing eyes upon us, does he see that holiness? Well, let's think a bit more about that. Secondly, first, so, so holiness, more important than fruitfulness. Holiness means no compromise. Let's have a look at verse 20. Jesus says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. A couple of weeks back, we we saw that these letters follow the history of the Old Testament. Jesus is picking up on ideas and themes from Israel's history. Started back in Eden, the garden, right at the beginning. Then we looked at the time of Abraham and, and Joseph, and then it was the exodus from Egypt, and now in Thyatira, Jesus refers back to the time of the kings. It's interesting, isn't it? History repeats itself. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing surprises Jesus. What he sees in Thyatira reminds him of something he's seen before. Jezebel, that Jesus mentions here, was the wife of King Ahab, and their reign was a terrible reign. Jezebel and Ahab led Israel away from God. They introduced foreign gods, fake gods, from the nations around. 
And so under Ahab and Jezebel, Israel were no longer the distinct, set-apart, holy nation that God intended them to be. They became just like the nations around them. And Jesus is saying, look, there is someone like Jezebel in the church in Thyatira. Someone who is teaching, it is okay to embrace the practices of Roman religion. She is preaching compromise. Instead of being holy, pure, wholly devoted to Christ, she's saying to this church, you can be mixed and impure. And we've got to understand how tempting compromise would have been. In Roman society, the way you got on, the way you did business, the way you were accepted by society was by taking part in these feasts with others who were in your trade or in your industry. And at the start of every feast, someone would get up and say a prayer and offer a toast or a sacrifice to one of the Roman deities, the Roman gods, and you were expected to stand and toast or affirm that sacrifice as well. Your career... It depends on you standing up with everyone else. Would you stand? Your freedom, the the respect of your friends and your your neighbours, your income, it all depends on you standing up and affirming with everyone else. Would you stand? Would, Would you toast to that Roman God? Would you compromise? It's tempting, isn't it? I mean, you could easily justify it. And maybe that's what this Jezebel teacher was so good at doing, justifying your compromise. It's just once a month. You don't really believe these gods are true. You're at church praying to Jesus every week and every day. Everyone knows where your heart really is. So you stand up and you join in. Or you've got to choose your battles. You know, you've got to choose the right moment to make a stand and be distinctive. And this, this isn't it. So you stand up and you join in. Or if you can help people see that Christians aren't as weird as they think they are, if you join in a bit, if you're present there, well then maybe you'll win a hearing for the gospel. Maybe you can bring people to Jesus that way, so you stand up and you join in. Compromise. Very tempting, isn't it? We don't even face the same kind of pressure as those Christians living in first century Roman Empire faced. There aren't feasts with sacrifices to idols that we have to join in. But we still feel that pressure, don't we, to compromise. All sorts of reasons, but, you know, one of them is we just want to be liked. Most of us hate conflict. Most of us hate upsetting someone by contradicting their view. Some here enjoy that. They enjoy it way too much. You know, you need to kind of scale it back a little bit. I personally feel it acutely, this desire to to want other people to like me. You, You know, you tell me something that you really enjoy, and I'm likely to pretend that I like it as well just because I don't want to see you upset. You, you tell me that you love you know, hill running. I, I'm not going to say, because I'm looking at your face, I couldn't think of anything worse than hill running, maybe mountain running, I don't know. But I couldn't think of anything worse, and before I know it, I'm up 6 a.m. in the morning to go hill running with you just because I didn't want to upset you. You know that? I feel that. How, how much do we feel that just generally? 
in the office, at home, with neighbours, with friends, with family. We just don't want to upset people. So we feel this internal pressure to keep quiet about certain Christian truths and ethics, a pressure to affirm certain cultural viewpoints. Don't make a fuss. Just keep quiet. Just don't disagree. So that we're like, so that we can just get through life. And you can justify it. Jesus knows what I really think about him. Jesus knows that I trust him. Jesus knows that I'm active at church, keeping quiet, nodding along. It's, it's not really a, a big deal, is it? Maybe not. But look how Jesus feels about the compromise in Thyatira, verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. And this is a strong reaction from Jesus. As ever, he is patient and he is merciful. He's given this Jezebel teacher time to repent, a chance to find forgiveness. And those who followed along, similarly, you can repent. But he will stop her. And the language is interesting, isn't it? Jesus talks about this sin of compromises, adultery, and sexual immorality. Now, I personally don't think that these Christians are literally jumping into bed with other people. I think Jesus is talking about spiritual adultery. That would fit more with the themes of Revelation. They're meant to be united and married to Jesus, but they're joining up with other gods, and therefore it is spiritual adultery. And maybe that helps us see why this spiritual compromise is such a big deal for Jesus. Like imagine a husband has a one-night stand with another woman, and his wife finds out. Understandably, she is devastated. And if the husband said to her, look, it was only once. I sleep with you all the time. It was only this once. But the number of times isn't the issue, is it? It's the betrayal. It's the dishonor. It's what it reveals about the heart of the husband. His heart does not treasure his wife above all else. His heart is not loyal, not committed to her. That's what Jesus sees when he watches these Christians compromise. He sees them jumping into bed with other gods. It may be once a month at one of those feasts or even just once a year, but that isn't so much the point. It is the disloyalty, the dishonor, the betrayal, hearts that do not treasure Christ above all else. Jesus will stop this Jezebel teacher. And if those who join in her compromise don't repent, he will stop them as well. Brothers and sisters, of, of course there are times when it is wiser to stay quiet. But wiser not to push back. Wiser not to explain the Christian perspective. That there are certain contexts where perhaps that would not be appropriate. But if we always keep quiet, if we never give the view of Christ if we affirm things we know deep down the Lord Jesus does not affirm, then maybe we also need to repent. Listen again to the words of Jesus. 
I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. If we find this too strong from Jesus, that means we have not understood how serious he takes that kind of compromise. Jesus does not want half-hearted followers. He doesn't want churches that are full of activity, that on paper are growing and serving and making a difference if slowly their hearts are turning towards the world. If given the choice, they would choose acceptance and ease with the world rather than loyalty and devotion to him. Jesus isn't interested in that church, or certainly not pleased with that church. Above all, Jesus wants holiness. He wants faithfulness. He wants undivided devotion from his people. And of course, we're going to get this wrong. And that's why we have to hold on to that promise that there is the forgiveness that comes if we repent. I'm sure there'll be many times where we'll need to repent. But this is what Jesus is looking for. Listen to verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Quick explanation of that. It's likely, I think, from reading around, that the, the Jezebel teacher was saying, I know the deep things of God. Jesus hears her teachings and says, that's the deep things of Satan. I think that's kind of how it's playing here. Jesus saying, those who've not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, he says, I will not impose any other burden on you. What does Jesus want from his church in Thyatira? He doesn't want to burden them. He doesn't want to make their life unnecessarily difficult. No, he says, the only thing is this. I will not impose any other burdens on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Just hold on. Hold on to me. He says it again, verse 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will or works to the end. Throughout this letter, it's kind of hidden in our translation, Jesus talked about works. He praises the Thyatirans in verse 19 for their deeds or their works of faith and love and service. He he praises them, verse 19, that they are now doing more than they did before, or literally their latter works exceed their first. He denounces the ways or works of this Jezebel teacher, verse 22. He says we will be judged by our deeds or works, verse 23. And then Jesus says, these are the kind of works I want for you, to do my works, my will. It's interesting, John, who wrote Revelation, recorded Jesus saying something very similar back in the Gospel of John. Be on the screen, John 6, the people asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus says, 6 verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Hold on to me. This is what Jesus wants the church in Thyatira to do above all else. It's what he wants us to do above all else, to believe in him. To believe his words and his teaching as true above all other teachings. To believe his commands, his ethics, his morality. 
to believe his promises, to believe his assurance of life now and life forever with him, to be loyal to him above all else. That's holiness, isn't it? Don't compromise. Don't mix your obedience to Christ with obedience to the world. Don't mix your devotion to Christ with devotion to the world. Believe upon Christ and Christ alone. That is the work of Jesus. And if we can hold on to Christ, then we will share in the rule of Christ, verse 26. Even more wonderful we will receive the object of our devotion and worship, Jesus himself, verse 28, the morning star. As the story of Revelation unfolds, Jesus is the morning star. That's what he will give us, the object of our worship and devotion himself. So holiness, the blazing eyes of Jesus, seeking out justice, righteous holiness, Holiness is more important than fruitfulness. Not that we shouldn't aspire to be fruitful. And holiness means no compromise. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to do perhaps a a dangerous thing. I ask you to set your gaze upon us here at Redeemer. We pray, Heavenly Father, that not only would you reveal the encouragements, but where you need to, would you show up the ways in which we are not devoted to you as we should be, where compromise has seeped in, May your spirit not only convict us, but cause us to repent. And not only to repent, but to be more devoted to you. To worship you rightly. Father, we pray that as a church, you would be pleased to bless us. May there be fruit from our endeavors. May we learn something from this church in Thyatira that the deeds they do now are greater than the ones they did before but Father as life gets busier for us as a church may we never lose sight of holiness pray for this in Jesus name Amen